Thank you, Lynn and team, for leading us in a meditation on the names of God that should bring us joy no matter what our circumstances are. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Jesus, uh, Yahweh saves, Yeshua, and just uh, whatever our troubles are that we may be facing, um, just to know God is with us makes all the difference. Remembering, uh, reading the book of Daniel, and uh, he had this dream, and the astrologers couldn't interpret it, said uh, uh, God doesn't dwell among men as far as making known what the dreams mean. Daniel showed them. Otherwise, God could reveal his thoughts to man. But uh, what a... a a wonder that Jesus came to be with us and among us. Thanks to our uh, praise team, uh, Lynn Bowman on piano, Kathy Cullen and Tori McBride on vocals, Dave Pike on drums, and Rick Housen on guitar. A marvelous job today. Thank you. And thanks, I don't think I mentioned in previous weeks, thanks to our decorating committee. Uh, Dini Butter kind of heads it up, but did a lovely job on the tree and the, the Christmas decorations. Really uh, helped set the, the sanctuary in a, a glorifying kind of aspect. So thank you. It did work the other day. All right, well, Titus, if you can go one more slide, please. Thank you. I guess I'll, uh, I'll raise my hand like this when I want you to switch to the next slide then. In the meantime, I'm going to try the other batteries that are in my pocket. <clears throat> the first next slide is, uh, well, the title is, Our Spirit Rejoices at God's Surprising Choices. We see in the Magnificat that Mary was singing there, her spirit rejoiced at what God was doing, and uh, she was very surprised to be chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Next slide, Joy, You've Got to Be Kidding. This third Sunday of Advent is traditionally associated with joy. However, 2020 seems to be a most unusual year due to the pandemic. Many people probably don't feel much like rejoicing, what with having to wear masks and maintain social distancing, not going to concerts or theater, etc., and not even being able to get together for parties or with many family members. We're tempted to mutter with Scrooge, Bah, humbug. A meme on social media made me smile the other day. It shows two big letters standing on a lawn, O-Y, with something fallen to the left. The caption reads, My neighbor's J fell down, but this way is better. Hashtag 2020. Oi! Can we try saying that all together? Oi! Therapeutic and cathartic gets it out of your system. Yet even 2020 can remind us we have reasons for joy independent of our circumstances. This week, approval of a vaccine for COVID was announced and people in Britain began getting vaccinated with Canadians to follow in the near future. That's a happy prospect. Joy is anchored in something that fluctuates less than circumstances. Happiness is affected by circumstances like other emotions. It's been said, happiness is an emotion and joy is an attitude. Emotions come and go, but attitudes come and grow. Today we're looking at Mary's response to the news she had been chosen to give birth to God's son, the Messiah. Although at first that sounds like a wonderful privilege, there were harsh conditions attached to it that might give one second thought. 
And Mary's faith in the Lord God gave her confidence he would work out the details. And with that confidence came unsuppressible joy. Mary's precarious state, Luke 1.26 says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Where? Huh? Never heard of that place. Nazareth was a nothing town, so much so that it was proverbial, can anything good come from Nazareth? John 1.46 says, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples saying that. In a patriarchal society, a young single woman pledged to be married did not have high status. 148a, (laughs) looking at you, Titus, there we go. Mary says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, in the living translation, took notice of his lowly servant girl. You can sort of picture her in simple garb, maybe a patch on her skirt, bare feet, hair tied up in a bun at the back, barely old enough to be in her teens, nothing impressive. Mary and Joseph were covenanted to be wed, but it hadn't happened yet. So for her to mysteriously become pregnant brought with it a lot of baggage and significant cause for concern. To be chosen for a miraculous birth was a huge problem. The penalty for adultery of a betrothed woman under the law of Moses was stoning. Mary could wind up dead, Deuteronomy 22:23. Moreover, Joseph had a reputation already as a righteous dude, Matthew 1:19. so people would likely suspect Mary of being immoral with another man, cheating on her pledged husband. That would be especially despicable, shameful. How would she ever explain what the truth was in a convincing way? Explain it to Joseph. Explain it to the community. What's more, consider what lay ahead for the earthly mother of our Savior. 129. Mary was greatly troubled at his, that is Gabriel's words. She had right to be. This was an unplanned pregnancy, throwing all her dreams and plans awry. Little did Mary realize all that would transpire. The birth would happen in a strange, distant town, not in a clean room, but a stable complete with animals, flies, smells, and manure. Soon after, the young refugee family would flee to Egypt for their very lives, political enemies of the state with a price on their head. When they presented the child in the temple, Simeon would prophesy to Mary ominously, 235, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. At times as an adult, their son would be alienated from his siblings who refused to believe him. At times they even thought Jesus was crazy and went to take him into care, Mark 3.21. When his family heard about uh, this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Bonkers, I tell you. The religious leaders figured Jesus was possessed by demons in league with the devil, Mark 3.22. And then there would be that whole bit about watching your eldest son get tried and sentenced for crimes he didn't do, then crucified mercilessly while all you could do was stand there and watch. 
Who wants to sign up for an assignment like that? That's really a tough one. You might want to reconsider about taking this one on, Mary. Can you relate? Does it seem circumstances are ganging up on you in a way you didn't plan or wish for? Is the job God seems to be calling you to do almost more than you can bear? Are you reaching your breaking point, ready to throw in the towel? Does the enthusiasm seem to be slowly draining out of what you thought God had geared you for? Nevertheless, even though the future is full of unknowns and Mary doesn't have a clue what she's getting into, still she finds cause for joy. 146. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Was she remembering Nehemiah 8.10? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Mary's unexpected joy is rooted in her confidence in God. She has a big view of God that dwarfs her potential problems. Next section, God the reverser of fate. You look at the short song of praise from this lowly, humble servant girl that arrests you with its phenomenal view of God's greatness and grace. It is truly revolutionary. If King Herod or the Roman governor caught wind of a mob declaring these things, it would be most unsettling, threatening to the powers that be. Listen again to how revolutionary verses 49 to 52 are in the mouth of a potential radical youth from the slums. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. John MacArthur comments, the quality of Mary that shines through most clearly in this passage is a deep sense of humility. Mary has no doubts about God's power. He is the mighty one. He has done great things. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Phrases reminiscent of God's miracles in the Old Testament. Ten plagues in Egypt. Crossing the Red Sea. Bringing water from the rock. Sustaining people with food from the sky in the wilderness for four decades the defeat of Jericho, and so on. David slaying the giant, Elijah being caught up to heaven, Elisha raising a woman's son back to life, rescuing Daniel from the lion's den. Mary trusted God could do the impossible. As the angel Gabriel had reminded her in Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. That's an attitude that carried through to her son and later the 12 apostles. Holy is his name, she says. God is totally other, beyond human scope. We are made in his image, but he is much bigger than the strongest person on the planet. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. What a subversive, revolutionary God, upending and shattering accustomed human patterns of political power, control, and bondage. 
Think back to Daniel's time when proud Nebuchadnezzar had to be taught a lesson, Daniel 4, 29 and 33. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by mighty, my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Immediately what had been sent, uh, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. I think we went right there. Yes, there we go. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. What situation are you facing that you're tempted to give up about because it seems things like things will never change? Are you feeling like you're too small a cog in the wheel to make any difference? Are the powers that be unresponsive to the point you seem stuck, caught in a downward spiral? Keep praying about it and trusting the Lord, Mary's mighty one, to be working behind the scenes. Next section, promised mercy worth the wait. Mary's subject shifts throughout this song, traditionally known as the Magnificat, from herself, verses 46 to 49, to her God, 50 to 53, and then to her people, 54 to 55. She is an individual. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me. But in closing, she locates herself within the stream of God's covenant people down through the centuries. She sees herself as the latest instance of God's saving work in action amongst his people. Verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary seems to be recalling the Lord's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hundreds of years earlier. To Abraham, God said, Genesis 13, 15, and 16. Next one there, thank you, sorry. I think it went twice, there we go. All the land that you see, God says, I will give to you, Abraham, and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Here, offspring can be understood as seed. Also in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. God's plan to bless humanity isn't confined just to the Jews, the offspring of Abraham, but is to bless all nations. Paul the Apostle singles out how instrumental Jesus is to the fulfillment of God's plan. Galatians 3.16 
the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. God was involving Mary in that process, making her a conduit of blessing through her special son, the long-awaited seed. God, her Savior, has helped his servant Israel, the offspring of Jacob. Jesus spoke of God's Holy Spirit as the paraclete, helper, comforter, from a word meaning one who comes alongside to help. Where are you needing help most right now in your activities, your projects, your relationships? In what way might you benefit from seeking the Lord's assistance and guidance? Where are you stumped? Sometimes you need to let go of your pride, wanting to be in control and admit to God you need his help. Mary emphasizes that God's mercy is available to those who call on him. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. The Greek term here means mercy, kindness, or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. God is great and mighty powerful and upender, deposing kings and scattering the proud, sending the rich away empty. But he is also a merciful God. The cross of Christ is proof that God will not exact the just payment he deserves from us sinners when we repent, come clean, and admit we need his lordship and deliverance from the lusts and guilt and idols that entrap us. Mary sings, remembering to be merciful forever, even as he said to our fathers. God's loving kindness and mercy are constant. One day, C.H. Spurgeon was walking through the English countryside of the friend. As they strolled along, the famous preacher noticed a barn with a weather vane on its roof. At the top of the vane were these words, God is love. Well, Spurgeon remarked to his companion that he thought this was a rather inappropriate place for such a message. Weather vanes are changeable, he said, but God's love is constant. I don't agree with you about those words, Charles, replied his friend. You misunderstand the meaning. That sign is indicating a truth. Regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. Having experienced God's mercy, we need to be careful to walk forward washed and clean and not revisiting the same paths that led us into trouble in the first place. In his book, How to Be Born Again, Billy Graham refers to a story that Corey Tenboom used to tell of a little girl who broke one of her mother's treasured demi-tasse cups. The little girl came to her mother sobbing, Oh, Mama, I'm so sorry I broke your beautiful cup. The mother replied, I know you're sorry, and I forgive you. Now don't cry anymore. Mother then swept up the pieces of the broken cup and placed them in the trash can. But the little girl enjoyed the guilty feeling. She went to the trash can, picked out the pieces of the cup, brought them to her mother and sobbed, Mother, I'm so sorry I broke your pretty cup. This time the mother spoke firmly to her. Take those pieces and put them back in the trash can and don't be silly enough to take them out again. I told you I forgave you, so don't cry anymore and don't pick up the broken pieces anymore. 
Thank God for our Savior's amazing mercy. God is merciful and powerful. In Christ, we have power to live new lives free of former guilt and shame. He surprisingly chose Mary, a humble servant girl, to be the mother of the Messiah. All things are possible with God. His mercy extends to all those who fear him down the generations to you here today. That is cause for lasting joy. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you for your vast mercy, your oceans of love. Lord, whatever circumstances we're facing right now, and you know the needs of each individual heart, what's pressing on our consciousness, what's threatening us, Lord, we entrust that to your hands. We give it over to you. We know you are the mighty God. You are our Lord. Help us to to walk in the joy that you give, knowing you are alongside to help. In Christ's name, amen.